Let me invite your attention to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. I'd intended uh, originally to address the book of Obadiah today and next Sunday, but I've changed my sermon calendar and uh, did not do that in time, of course, to have it changed on the worship guide. We'll address Obadiah in a few weeks. But Haggai chapter 1, it is towards the end of the Old Testament. It's the third to the last book of the Old Testament, one of the shortest. Haggai chapter 1, and uh, you've got a pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a copy today, and that'll be a great big help to you. Dr. Chris will used to say that God's way is never retreat or defeat or backwards. It's always onward, upward, forward. Greater conquest, greater glory, and God is the kind of God that rushes his people towards that great day when Jesus Christ shall be King of kings and Lord of lords over all. A.W. Tozer said something similar. He said, anything God has ever done in some place, he will do here. And anything God has done for someone else, he will do for us. And anything God has ever done in the past, he is willing to do now. Ladies and gentlemen, God is the kind of God that works through his people like you and me to part Red Seas. He's the kind of God that slays giants. And he's the kind of God that raises the dead. The truth is, God probably has more planned for you and for our church than we have ever imagined. And I still believe he's the God upon whom we can call and he will show us great and mighty things which we do not know. He's also the kind of God that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think uh, for his glory through his church. Now, that is uh, something you've got to keep in mind when we look at Haggai. Because the people of Israel had been deported and exiled in a foreign country for 70 years. God brought them back, just on schedule, back to the land of Israel. And he commanded them to rebuild the temple. The temple that they worshipped in was in dust and ashes. It was obliterated when they left 70 years before. And they came back and they were to rebuild it. And they began. They laid the foundation, but governing authorities and enemies round about them uh, hindered their work. And so they gave up. They gave up and they gave up for 16 years. And with some fiery messages, Haggai speaks on behalf of the Lord and tells them it's time to renew this work and get this thing built. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Now, I want you to look at the text, and I want you to look at chapter 1, and I've divided this up into three sections. The first is the sin, the sin of delay, the sinful 16-year delay, verses, one, verses 2 uh, through 4. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Ladies and gentlemen, they had a delay, and it was a very sensible delay to many people. Governing authorities had interfered with their building project. Does any of that sound familiar? That's precisely what happened here. Governing authorities had interfered with the building project and they had enemies about them who were criticizing them and they were intimidated. Listen to me carefully. I don't know what kind of temptation that you're facing, but at some point or another, every sin and temptation will look reasonable. It will look sensible. Every one of 
them. And that's why they call it temptation in sin. You've got to be extremely careful in your walk. In other words, what can happen is that the world, your own flesh, and enemy forces in the demonic world can conspire against you to make even the most foolish and the most wicked decision look reasonable. In other words, we are experts at justifying that which has no justification. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. So it's a sensible delay, but then it's also superficial. Did you read in the text verses 2 through 4? They're saying it's not time to build this temple. But God says, hold on just a minute. You've already built your elaborate homes. If it's not time to build the temple, why was it time to treat your own home so nicely? Why why is it time for you to rebuild your own home? And, And you did it so well, you paneled the rooms, which was exquisite. And it was a, uh, a very elaborate and even ostentatious thing to do back in the 6th century world B.C. And he said, in other words, if you're willing to give yourself something, how about giving it to God as well? You see, they were willing to do for themselves what they were not willing to do for God. That's the sin. But then there's the sentence, verses 5 through 11. I want you to read there with me, beginning in verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And he will repeat this in um, verse number uh, seven. Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, well, he earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Verse seven. Consider your ways. Verse 8, go up to the mountains and find the materials and bring them back and build. And then verse number 9, you look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above withhold the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the the oil, whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. So just about every area of their life was a focus of their zealous attention their energy, their resources, but it was producing and returning almost nothing. Vocationally, financially, agriculturally, and otherwise. You see, uh, it, it is a principle, John Phillips says, of the Old Testament economy that when we are miserly with God, God will be miserly with us. And that's precisely what happened here in the uh, text. And here's what he says in verse 5 and 7. He says, consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. In other words, you need to be very sensitive to evaluating your current circumstances in light of your obedience and disobedience. Now, I don't believe that every setback And I don't believe that uh, every difficulty and every sickness is the result of human sin. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe some of them are. And whether they are or not in your life or mine is something we've got to evaluate for ourselves. But I do believe that an awful lot of people would be doing a whole lot better if they just simply got themselves right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happened here in the text. And you need to understand, whenever we belong to Him, 
when we belong to God and we drift away from his ways, if we really belong to him, he will intervene and chastise us every time. He will. God disciplines his own children. He won't do that for those who are not his. And so that's a good way to test about where we are with God. If we belong to him, Hebrews 12 says, like a disciplinary father, he will intervene and he will chastise. Usually it's a restless spirit that he gives us. It, usually it's a lack of peace. Usually a sense that we're not making any progress with, with God and we feel distant and growingly distant, increasingly distant from him. In other words, there are initial soft forms of chastisement that God may give us. Thank God he does that before lowering a very intense and dramatic boom. But we need to understand whenever we are miserly with God, God is willing to be miserly with us. So that's the sentence. There's the sin, the sentence. And then I want you to notice the sequence in the text, verses 12 through 15. Now, now follow this real carefully. What you're going to read here is that they do what God commanded them to do in verse 8. Something happens to their feelings in their heart uh, in uh, verses 12 uh, through 15. And at the end of verse 15, the work gets done. Notice the sequence here. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, spoke the, Haggai the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, and the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord God there, uh, the Lord God of hosts. So did you notice here what happened? They did what he commanded in verse 8. They went up to the mountains to bring wood to build the temple. They did that. God commanded it. They obeyed him. They worked with their hands and did what God told them to do. And then you find at the end of verse 12, they feared. In other words, their walk with God was restored. They, they held him in awe. All of a the sudden, they're closer to the Lord. And then verse number 13. The Lord says through Haggai, I'm with you. So not only is their walk with God restored, but here in the text in verse number 13, they have an intensified sense of the presence of God. So something's happening in their heart. And then the Lord stirs up their spirit. In other words, he expands this beyond the leadership and includes all of the people. And something happens in their heart and they're convinced we need to do this thing. And then they get to work on the temple. Listen to me. The hand always comes before the heart. Obedience to God always comes before the close feeling that we have with God and one another. Pop psychologist Harry Stack Sullivan in the 60s used to say, it is easier to behave yourself into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of behaving. Do you know there's some people that are waiting on a feeling before they obey God? 
They want to feel right before they give their hearts and lives to Jesus. Or they want to feel it before they start giving. And they, they want to feel it before they witness. They, they want to feel it before they go to church and renew their commitment. Or but before they make a relationship right or make a right decision. They're looking for some kind of feeling. And I want to say to you that if you're waiting on a feeling before you obey God, you need to know you're going to be waiting a very, very long time. The heart doesn't come before the hand. Here's what you do. You follow the sequence here. In other words, you obey God and then the feelings follow. Something happens to the heart, soul, and life after we obey God. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is Lord, not our feelings. Not our, I remember James Dobson talking about his book, Emotions. Can you trust him? And I remember a radio interview with him on that. And the, again, the title of the book was Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And he said, I wrote 200 pages to say, no. I, I think he's right. In other words, obey God and you let the feelings worry about themselves. Now, that, that's Haggai. Now, I want you to turn with me to a parallel passage in the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's just a few, way, a few books away from the very end of the New Testament, from the back of the Bible. And what we've just done is that we've analyzed Haggai 1. I want us to apply it now. I want us to apply it. Because this morning I'm preaching on material matters. Material matters. And the Bible teaches that in the New Testament era that we are in now, God is mostly concerned about a different kind of temple than a physical structure. What he's concerned about is the spiritual life of people and their walk with him. And every one of God's people who belong to Jesus Christ are some element of a spiritual, relational, eternal temple that he's building by people. Did you know that some of you are doors? Did you know that some of you are hinges? Some of you are faucets? Some of you are the plumbing? Some of you are um, all, all the, you know, middle school boys, garbage disposals. Um, some of you are uh, the carpeting. Some of you are the light fixtures. Some of you are a different part of the house. In other words, God when you come to Jesus Christ as Savior, God reshapes and refashions you and makes you an appropriate part of this great temple that he is building to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a spiritual temple with which we've got to concern ourselves. John chapter 2 verse 19, Jesus said, tear down this temple and raise it in three days. Because he was talking about his body. His body was a temple. For the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit and that your body is from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And then 1 Peter chapter 2 picks up that same language and that same image, calling those who belong to Jesus different parts of the temple that God is building. And again, some of us are hinges. Some of us are doors. Some of us are faucets. Some of us are the carpeting. Some of us are the light fixtures. In other words, we are part of a spiritual, 
human temple that God is building to glorify Jesus Christ. And Peter picks up on that language in 1 Peter chapter 2. So, we are building materials. And there are three things that have got to be true about building materials for it to be something that glorifies Jesus. One, they've got to be available. The building materials have got to be available. I'll tell you, if you end up having a hurricane in the Gulf or on the Atlantic and um, it tears up a bunch of buildings, steel and wood can be very hard to find because it's all been moved, most likely down to Florida or coastal United States someplace, and they, they end up running out. The materials have got to be available. Uh, in verse 4, look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, what he says here. Look, uh, look there. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but precious to God. In other words, we come to him first. And in coming to him, he transforms us from mere dust and pebble and throwaway material, and he transforms us into something that can be beautiful and added to the temple for Jesus Christ that he's building in his people. Uh, he goes on in verse 6. Therefore, it's also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. In other words, if you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today and you stand before God one day after you die in judgment, as we all will, you will not be ashamed. You will not be ashamed for doing so. And that's the promise to you. Uh, and so we come to Jesus Christ and by doing so, we make ourselves available to him as material to build this temple. So this morning, we invite you to come to Christ. You come to God and you say, God, you make me a part of your temple, any part that you want me to be. And if you will change your mind about yourself, about Christ, and about salvation, and trust the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will begin to shape and mold and fashion you into a person who is perfectly suited to build the temple of God. Change your mind about yourself. In other words, things are not right. You've got guilt stacked up to the heavens. And, and so, uh, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is not just merely a historical person and someone to take casually. He means everything. He's not moderately important. He's extremely eternally important. And you embrace him in that way. And then salvation comes by trusting the death and the resurrection of Christ and that alone. So you stop relying upon your virtue and works and you trust him and him alone. If you'll do that, God will begin to transform you into someone who can be a material, uh, a part of the material to build the temple for God. Available materials. But then, the best materials. The best materials. In uh, 1912, shipbuilders in the United Kingdom were building three large ships. One was the Britannica and one was the Olympia. And uh, they uh, used, oh my goodness, I think three million rivets on each one of those ships. But they began to run out of steel for the third ship. And they began to mix it into an alloy of steel and iron. Back in 2008, scientists did their study and their work on a particular ship that sank out of the three, the only one of the three to sink, 
and found that the rivets were made out of steel and alloy, and they suspect that that had a lot to do with the sinking of the Titanic. Inferior materials used. Had they used the same kind of rivets they used on the Olympia and the Britannica, it may have just been the Titanic had a careless bump against a glacier. Instead, that glacier ripped the Titanic apart and thousands lost their lives. Inferior materials. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Israel was doing with God. That's what we cannot afford to do with God. We give God our best. Now look here in verse number, uh, verse number um, four and five, what he's saying about these materials. We come to him as a living stone, perhaps rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. And then we're, we become living stones. We're built into a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood. We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, we give God our best. Listen to me carefully. Please be careful never to shortchange God. God won't put up with it. What God will do in response is that he will begin to carefully and even tenderly shortchange us in the process. Instead, we abandon our all for him and we find then that God will abandon his all for us. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other things you need will be added to that. We give God our best. Hey, do you know what kind of walk with God you have? You have the kind of walk with God that you've paid the price to have. You know what kind of marriage you've got? You've got the marriage that you've worked for. You know what kind of influence you have with people outside of Christ and his church? Well, the kind of influence that you've exercised and you've sought. That's exactly what we've got. In other words, everything that we're experiencing today is the accumulation of all the decisions we've made through the years, whether they are far in the past or they are recent. Today is the accumulation of all the decisions we've made. That's why some of you are so happy. You, you, if you could find a chandelier, you'd swing off of it. Because you've listened to God, you've obeyed Him. And here you are. And you can't believe it. What a wonderful thing. See, the best materials go to God. And then, not only available materials, best materials, but collected materials. Look at verse number 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. In other words, if God has saved you in Jesus Christ, you aren't junk. No matter what the world may say about you, you are precious, special, and chosen by him. Now here's why. That you may proclaim the praises of him. That you may proclaim his praises. Now, too often the word proclaim is associated with the pulpit. They didn't have any pulpits in the first century. That's not what it is. Uh, it is the kind of word used to uh, announce some news. Hey, have you ever shared any good news before? Have you ever shared any good news about your house? Maybe your first home. You were so thrilled 
that uh, you got into your first home, that you shared it with others, shared it with your family. I mean, real quickly. And um, uh, I mean, today we would send texts. Some of you back in those days, smoke signals, but uh, you were so excited, you, you ended up communicating it to others. You were thrilled. Well, that's, that's the kind of word that we're using here when we use the word proclaim. It, it means to share good news of something. And it could be a variety of things. Here, it happens to be the good news of how praiseworthy this God is who gave his son to be our sacrifice in our place, raised him from the dead, and now says you can have it all in Jesus Christ by faith in his death and resurrection. That is good news. Marvelous. And so uh, we collect the materials. In other words, we go throughout our world and we collect people who can be material in the great building and temple that God is building. Howard Ramsey wrote Continuous Witness Training, CWT for short. It was a Southern Baptist version of Evangelism Explosion many years ago and probably the best ever written. It was wonderful. He did a marvelous job uh, with that. But Dr. Ramsey's now in his 90s. And uh, he said a few years ago, uh, after I got to know him, he communicated uh, that uh, something that I will never forget. Now, he ended up being, he was a pastor. He was evangelism director for the Northwest Baptist Convention, which encompasses Oregon and Washington. He worked for the North American Mission Board for decades, writing evangelism materials, leading evangelism events, and training others in evangelism. And here's what he said. He said, after all of my observation, and after all my experiences in my travel, I have concluded this. The number of people who come to Jesus is in direct proportion to the number of people we tell about Jesus. Can you imagine that? Isn't that something? Yeah. In other words, there's a proportion. The more you tell, the more will come. In other words, church, we need to gather people. Now look, we've got some big things ahead of us as a church family. Uh, some real big things ahead of us. September the 8th, we're going to be going to two worship services, and I'm going to be talking more with our Sunday school uh, and deacon leadership after, the, after services today about that. So be ready, be flexible. Don't forget uh, the Gumby Beatitude. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. Amen? That's the Gumby Beatitude. That's the first thing, September the 8th. And then September 22nd, we've got Scott Camp in for a friend day. We're asking you to invite all of your friends to be here in one of the two services, and we're going to present the good news of Jesus Christ in power and invite our friends to come to know him. And uh, beginning today, we'll be leading up to that. And then uh, we're doing some work in Guatemala in Takana, Guatemala, and I was hoping for a few more months to cast a vision for you and to explain things to you about Takana, but we've had an opportunity drop in our lap uh, just recently in the last couple of weeks, and we want to communicate to you. We want to take advantage of that. The missions committee and uh, the stewardship committee want us to put out some money to purchase some land to plant a church in May 2021 in Takana, Guatemala, and it looks like it's perfectly suited. Not going to give you the price yet. It's not been settled, uh, but uh, we're, uh, we're negotiating it, and we'll communicate more and more to you uh, about that. But our hope is to take four mission trips there between now 
in May 2021 and uh, to start a church in May 2021. And in a few weeks then, we'll be having a special call business meeting to get your approval to spend some money on that. We've got some big things ahead of us because what we're attempting to do is to build a spiritual temple made of converted persons to glorify and to magnify Jesus Christ. Let's get that work done. When I was a boy, my mother's brother, uh, Charles, uh, lived in a home in Houston that was, I believe, as a boy, the funnest place I could ever possibly go. He had five kids, and age-wise, I was in the middle of them, and we always had fun together in that uh, uh, home and in that neighborhood in Houston. The thing is about my uncle's house that made it so fun and especially appealing to an elementary school boy like me is that he started the house and he got it um, um, essentially to the point where it wouldn't leak and then he quit building on it. It was unfinished. And so the outside was a mixture of siding and plywood. Oh, that's the best thing in the world for an elementary boy because when you wrestle in the living room, in the living room floor was plywood. When you get slammed by your cousin on the floor, it gives way a little bit. doesn't hurt as bad, okay? And that's the kind of home that he had. It was unfinished. It was incomplete. And frankly, it bothered my aunt that that was the case. We went over so much, we just didn't notice. But it was unfinished. Friends, I want you to take this incredibly seriously. Every one of us have got a responsibility to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Every one of us has got a responsibility to do that for Jesus. You can do it with Friend Day. But there are some, there are some that have not in their life ever been responsible for bringing someone to Jesus Christ. Hey, how about you change that? In other words, you pray, you give, you read your Bible, you live a holy life, you're doing all that you can to honor the Lord, but still there is that one thing left undone. It's not finished. How about you work and serve in such a way between now and the 22nd of September that one of your friends finds Jesus Christ? You say, well, what do I need to do today? Well, I would encourage you to do something similar as to what I did a couple of weeks ago. I uh, have just come off vacation, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to have that, but I made a mistake. I ended my vacation on Friday and Saturday painting my dining room, living room, and kitchen. I should have started my vacation doing that. I'm about to collapse. I've spent 16 hours on my feet painting all of that is what I did. Now, I'll tell you why I did it. I had a couple of places that had been repaired, and I hadn't painted them yet. And I got tired of looking at them. So I decided to do something about them. And over the course of almost six years, you know, a house suffers wear and tear, and it needs to be painted every once in a while, especially the interior. So that's what I did. I got tired of looking at it and did something about it. That's what I want to encourage you to do today. You see, you're responsible in your work, you're responsible with your kids, you're responsible in your neighborhood, but how about with Jesus Christ? It's time to take care of that. It's an unfinished thing in life. 
Now is the day to change your mind, mind about sin, self, the Savior, and salvation. And if you will do that, God promises to bring a new day in your life. You can be a part of this great global two-millennial movement that magnifies Jesus Christ. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for the good news of Christ, and thank you for the opportunity to say yes.